ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This is where the big boys play, huh? This is where the big boys play. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Where the Big Boys Play. As ever, I'm here with Chad. How are you doing, Chad? I'm doing pretty good tonight, Parv. Uh, three more days at the shoot job, and then I kick it to the bucket. And uh, I'm, I'm jumping territory, so to speak. Are you looking forward to it? Doing any jobs on the way out, Chad? <laughs> I have uh, been jobbing left and right this week. Shredding <laughs> paper, uh, do, doing the real kind of blue-collar type jobs. <laughs> well, uh, any other news before we get into the Meltzers? Um, no, I mean, I can give a, I'll give a quick plug to a couple of things over at uh, Place to Be Nation. Uh, just get that out of the way real first. First, uh, the World Cup of TV characters is still going on. That's a lot of fun. Make sure you're voting every day. And then uh, we had a lot of SummerSlam stuff come out, and uh, your 1989 show from the SummerSlam Rewind should be coming out uh, this week, Parv. What's happened is uh, Justin just sitting on that. It's, it's too... It, that, that show's so hot, he's just sitting on it. <laughs> just holding it there. Also, we got a uh, another show in the hopper, actually, another Goodwill Wrestling show with Dylan and uh, Johnny P, who did the Barbed Wire City uh, ECW documentary. They're talking about fans and wrestling. Which is always interesting, and I think that's something that we take note of, uh, Parv, at, yeah. from time to time. Uh, so, a lot of good stuff going on. It's been pretty exciting. I've kind of been re-engaged, I'd say, the last month or so uh, with Brad away, taking care of business. feel like I've sort of had to step up to the plate a little bit with some responsibility, <laughs> so it's been a lot of fun. Great. Um yeah, and I, I will give a quick plug to um, my little sideline series, Titans Extra. It's a little bit under the radar there, but uh, we talk about, uh, you know, check that out if you get the chance. <laughs> okay. Uh, how was that for a plug? That was great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's get into the Meltzers then. And uh, the Torch is back with a vengeance this week as well, right, Chad? Yeah, yeah. Good showing for the Torch this week. Okay, well, my first uh, edition is... Uh, oh, and I should say, thank you very much to Will for, for last week's show. Yes? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra. Wrestling Observer Extra. With Dave Meltzer. July the 29th uh, is my first one, Chad. Okay. Um, and the first issue of WCW Magazine hits the, the, the newsstands on August the 8th. Uh, Jim Ross spent six hours in the emergency room with uh, kidney stones after the Great American Bash pay-per-view. So he, um, Jim Bonnet uh, is taking over from James Ushut, Ushust uh, for, sev- for the booking of several uh, buildings on behalf of WCW. Ushust's position has been eliminate, uh, eliminated, so... Um, a little behind the scenes goings on there. Um, Meltzer says that the Yellow Dog and Wyndham 
taking on Arn Anderson. Uh, sorry, the Yellow Dog and Bob Eaton taking on Arn Anderson and uh, Barry Windham is a four-star match uh, that took place on TV this past week. Have you seen that? No, I don't recall that either. Hmm. Um, Vader's going to be back in October. And Meltzer wants to know why Jim Hurd has not been fired. They drew... <laughs> <laughs> they drew 960 uh, fans in farmland indianapolis um heard uh evil jim heard appeared on nbc's george michael sports machine show to say that nobody is sadder than him to see rick flair leave <laughs> melter says i guess if you compare him to hogan he's sincere uh, flair declined to appear to appear for an interview uh, Evil Jim Hurd has pulled the plug on the Paulie and Missy Hyatt storyline. Meltzer says that even though he's not that sad to see the storyline go, uh, you don't build up something for six months just to drop it. He said the saddest thing is that people don't really care about this enough to get mad at all because they are so little invested in the promotion. Any thoughts on dropping the Paulie Missy storyline, Chad? Um, uh, I mean, it's the storyline they've been going on for a while i mean we uh we were looking at it in the beginning of the year i think what happens with paulie he has kind of a tumultuous uh next couple of months until he gets uh jet set it into a big top angle that we'll talk about really at our our next show that we do we'll kick start that angle um so so i guess i guess kind of knowing what happens in hindsight it was probably the smart move but I don't know if they had that forethought at the time you're talking about, like in the real time. I, I can't remember which show it was, but for me, the, the absolute highlight of that storyline was uh, that shot of Paulie looking at Missy Hyatt's boobs in the, in the, oh. uh, in the arm wrestling match. Yeah, yeah, so that was uh, Clash, <laughs> uh, Clash 14. Yeah, and that was the front cover for our Clash 14 show. That was the best moment. Uh, <laughs> anyway, my next one is August the 8th. That was a bit very slim, uh, slim pickings and that. Uh, observer. Okay, I um is now the main story in mine is Hulk Hogan on Arsenio Hall. Yeah. Is that is that the one you just did or the one you're? Yeah, I mean, basically all through this month's Meltzer's, he's going heavy on the on the Hogan steroids angle, and I just thought, well, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it go in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot going on. I would recommend. Um, I mean, we stay. Mostly uh, WCW generated, of course, and we did have the long flare discussion. But uh, throughout the torches, I'll just say there's quite a few editorials about what flare going to the WWF means to wrestling. Uh, that Keller wrote, and I had, I had a good time. I was not very productive this afternoon at work, kind of reading all the uh, stuff going on with the steroids and the editorials on flare. But, um, uh, couple of tidbits that I have. Black Blood's days are numbered as uh, Billy Jack Haynes has been released, which was very sad. <laughs> Excellent news. I must have missed that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jim Ross apparently was belating, uh, berating WCW publicly on the Power Hour about how they were handling the steroid issue. Mm. So, I, I, I mean, JR sometimes was not, he didn't shy away from being unspoken and this really seems like a cloud hovering over the entire industry. Well, I mean, basically, week after week after week, Jim Hurd comes out and says, WCW's policy is that we're not going to have any drug testing. Right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's what he said, that they're only going to test for hard drugs, not for steroids. So, 
I don't know how he can, like if you were a Jim Hurd, I hate to do this to you again two weeks in a row, but uh, surely you would just say, yeah, okay, we'll we'll test. No? Yeah, well, this seems like an easy, I mean, it's tough because you knew, I'm, I'm conflicted again, because if he does say, yeah, we're testing for steroids, there's a certain amount of transparency you'd have to provide then. You, you know, you can't promise and then under-deliver. So, so understand that. I mean, clearly there was people in WCW that were on the gas at this time, too. Uh, but but I do think this is an, a real opportunity where it's... it there's I think there's very few points in time where WWF in the McMahon era has kind of been on the ropes... Yeah. And this and this feels like a time, even though they were still relatively hot, where the window of opportunity was there uh, throughout this whole steroid issue. But it seems like it was more of a cloud on the industry as a whole, yeah. and WCW wasn't able to build any momentum out of that. I mean, their gates have been even more atrocious than WWF. So I, I wonder if that's interesting. I mean, to me, it's one of those retrospective things I'd love to see that if WCW was hot and they had their crap together at this point in time, if they could have made a run at Vince and kind of used his bad publicity against him and gained public opinion for their product. I I, I mean, I will say that um, Jim Hurd, like, he basically released his statements that says he's not going to introduce steroid testing, doesn't need to, everybody's an adult type thing. Right. Um, But then he does stick the boots into Vince whenever he can. He calls it to, like... You know, Vince is going to lie. He's going to cover his ass. He he does stick the boot in where he, when he can, but you know, you're right, Chad. They 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 could have made more of it. Um, and that reminds me, we had some pretty good feedback for the last show um, over at uh, Pro Wrestling Only, and um, one of the guys there, uh, Big Bad Mick, one of the, one of the newer posters, I guess. Um, although he's been around a while now, uh, Big Bad Mick. He asked me what I meant by uh, the steroid scandal, meaning that Flair's value went up. Um, and I just thought I'd elaborate on exactly what I meant there. Um, basically, even though Flair, um, you know, has a decent body, he's obviously not roided up, you know. And he, he, he's he got the look of a wrestler rather than the look of a muscle, of a muscle head. Um, and he also brings a kind of like... Uh, a legitimacy, you know, like kind of non-steroid legit, le- legitimacy to um, to the product. Uh, that's kind of what I meant. That you know, if you're if you're going to try to steer away from steroids, Flair's not a bad guy to kind of be symbolic of that. Do you know what I yeah. mean, Chad? Yeah, I mean he. he you, I mean we don't know obviously what whether he was or wasn't, but I, I would say certainly compared to someone like Lex Luger the appearance is there that you can believe easier that Flair was not. Uh, so it wouldn't have been a bad choice to someone like a, the face of this uh, clean arrow, and, and I do clean in quotation marks. Yeah. Um, but he, but the, he famously did a lot of step machine, right, Ric Flair? He famously did a lot of what, I'm sorry? Uh, the step machine, you know, the steps uh, like the uh, cross trainer. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's so tough and so varying who and who was not. Uh, I, I kind of, if I had to, if I had to say, I would say most guys were taking them and 
including Flair, and then it gets into a uh, morality issue, which we I guess we don't have to go into on our personal opinions, whether uh, yes or no, but, but it, it certainly didn't. Um... I would like to go on record uh, to say that I do not believe that Lex Luger was on the gas. <laughs> You're going to make that statement right now. Was it 4% body fat? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, and uh, a couple other tidbits, and this this is towards one thirty two, just as a number. Uh, Tony Schiavone was on the uh, Jim Ross Collins show on WSB seven fifty in Atlanta, and he defended Hogan. So I, th- I saw th- thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, JYD has finally been released, so that's sad news. And that's um, I I mean, I guess we we sort of touched on it now, but. I mean, this really was the end of the road for Junkyard Dog. Yeah. Uh, he he would pass away, I think, about seven years after this. But this is his last. I can't even remember him doing anything uh, with the WWE after this, or Does, WWF. Doesn't he have another little run at some point? Ninety two, ninety three. No. Oh, uh, with WWF. Oh, uh, with WCW. Oh. Oh, yeah, that's right. He does come back. Okay, so, yeah, we can hold off on that. Yeah. <laughs> I think he does. Oh, God. And uh, and after Luger won the belt, he's been facing Bobby Eaton on house shows, which Keller reports have been disappointing because, there again, the fans are kind of confused on whether to boo uh, Luger or not, which I find a little perplexing. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I did not think that the ending of that cage match was – that ambiguous. I mean, to me, clearly Luger uh, used the tutelage of race to win the title. And I, I mean, I, I think the problem. I think the problem with that, because I, I, I remember watching it years ago and being quite confused by it. I was much less confused by it this time around, I have to say. But um, I think the problem is, is that race was much less established as a. It's not like race was an established heel in the area, you know. He, he hadn't. Race hadn't really been around, so it's like, oh what's right. this Harley races here and he's with Mr. Hughes it was, it was more kind of like you know it's not like those guys were established as team evil so it's not like Bobby Heenan turning up or Jim Cornette turning up or something you know I think that's more I think I, the point is is that race turning up isn't enough to turn someone heel you know yeah well, yeah I can say that I guess uh, but, but even still I mean I guess to me it, it seems like it was pretty I don't, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't that confused. Maybe with the race deal, what you're saying, but he, he clearly took help from an outside force to win the title, so yeah. that immediately should kind of click in your head. He'll turn. And that was meant to be like a double turn as well, because Wyndham turns... Wyndham is basically a face after that point. Right, well. right. Mm. And that's uh, that's all of that cl- uh, torch, excuse me. Okay, well, uh, the, the next uh, Meltzer is a, is, a, is a bumper issue. It's August the 8th, uh, because Dave has got his mid-year awards for 1991. And I think that there are very few people on Earth better placed than where the big boys plays Chad Campbell to comment on this. Because <laughs> you probably uh, have watched recently um, as much 1991 wrestling as, as Meltzer had in 1991. Um so I'm going to give you the award, and there's there is absolutely a shit ton of these, uh, Chad. So um, let's try to do do it quick fire, okay? Okay. Um, I'm going to give you the award, and you tell me if you agree with Melter's pick, okay? All right. Wrestler of the Year, Jumbo to uh, Jumbo, 
and he says that without any shadow of hesitation. Yeah, I can I can agree with that with the first first half. Outstanding wrestler he gives to Akira Hakuto. Mm, okay, so so this is when I'll, I'll be brief, but but this is when Joshi I think really kind of became the uh, de jour kind of style in wrestling. You, you started seeing it creep up uh, with the with the Crush Girls and stuff like that in the eighties. But then in the uh, early 90s, it, it kind of comes back. And, of course, in 93 with the big boom with the uh, Dream Slams and all that, this is something uh, I can defer to Otani's jacket or uh, someone like that more on. But, but it does seem like you were starting to get a groundswell kind of after the 80s boom of the uh, 90s women. And Akira Okudo was uh, one of the ringleaders for that. But I would I would... I haven't seen a ton of her, honestly, from uh, 91. What I did see it was was good. She had a good match with Minamiya Toyota and uh, a couple other good matches in that time frame. So I, I guess I can see how that's not a bad choice. Now, where do you start? Because I know that some guys, like uh, like Will, for example, are, 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 well, to say the least, not very high on, uh, on uh, women's wrestling. Um where do you stand on it? Yeah, I have no issue. I, I quite enjoy it when it's done well. I, th- I think there's some, I guess, tropes that can happen in the matches that can be very frustrating. But as an overall uh, form, when it's done well, some of my favorite matches of all time have actually been uh, women's matches from Japan. So okay. I, I don't have a bias against it. But if, if I had to choose... I don't know. I hate when he does this where the outstanding and the box office is different. I didn't even think about that with the first pick. But, I mean, Jumbo has a great first half of the year because he has the uh, the six-man from 4-20-1991, which is Masawa, Kawada, Kobashi versus Jumbo, Taoe, and Fuji. Yeah. And then he also has the singles match versus uh, Masawa, which is a little bit below their 1990s stuff for me, but still really really great at it at four and a half this is the height of uh grumpy jumbo right yeah i would i would say 91 is kind of where you see yeah uh some grumpy jumbo going into the the uh, summer where submissions all of a sudden become pretty uh pretty prevalent in all japan people submitting on like a front face lock and stuff like that uh, so still some interesting stuff going on in that feud so he's got best baby face hulk hogan Oh, well, <laughs> so that is in the, um, this is kind of in the brunt of the, the Desert Storm angle, and yeah. Ho- Hogan was over, I, I think there's no doubt about that, so I, again, I, I can kind of go with that, maybe, I, I'm inclined to say maybe Savage after his turn at Mania, but I don't think that really kickstarted until the second half when he gets into the feud with Jake. I mean, Hogan in that Desert Storm match versus Slaughter from MSG, he has the fans uh, very behind him. And then he says, best heel is The Undertaker. Mm. I guess based on that Savage angle, right? I I don't know. Yeah, well, (laughs) that and the uh, the Ultimate Warrior locking in the casket, that that had happened. (laughs) Uh, God, there haven't been a lot of great candidates, honestly for heel um yeah i can go with that i guess 
So food of the year. He doesn't really give a pick here, but it seems like it's between Jumbo and Masawa and uh, Tom Pritchard versus Tony Anthony with mm. uh, Undertaker versus Warrior as an outside bet. Yeah, so probably my feud of the first half and when you said Tom Pritchard I got excited I was like oh that's kind of an under the radar feud that's really good but it's a different one it's uh, Tom Pritchard versus Jeff Jarrett they had a really good feud uh, for the first half of the year had some excellent matches on USWA Texas Uh, so that would probably get the nod for my feud of the year up to this point so what's that again Tom Pritchard versus Jeff Jarrett yeah. If you say so, Chad. <laughs> I'm telling you, Jeff Jarrett is a... Uh, I, don't, I, I, I believe you. Well, it's so funny. I mean, Jeff Jarrett nowadays, he's such a punching bag. But Jeff Jarrett is kind of an upstart babyface in the early 90s. He, he's really good. Like, he really is. Okay, uh, tag team, Hase and Sasaki. Mm, okay. That's not a bad choice. Uh yeah, I can go with that. That that seems fine too. They uh, certainly had that couple of matches that you really enjoyed. And then the most improved, he's got Kayoko Inoue. Okay. Yeah, she she definitely was improved in 1991. Honestly, if I had to pick someone, it may it may seem a little weird, but I I may I don't I don't know. I mean, I think I think work-wise people are coming around on Hogan. But Hogan in 1991, and he has a couple of good matches, including probably his best match later on in the year versus uh, Tenru. But but in the early part of 1991, I thought the match versus Slaughter at Mania is really good. He has a match teaming with Tenru versus the Legion of Doom over in Japan that's a ton of fun. And he has a match with uh, your boy Yatsu that's not terrible and then that desert storm match i think is one of the best hulk hogan matches ever uh so it, it may seem like an odd choice but i really liked hogan and ring uh in 1991 i know my choice is uh who is it virgil virgil yeah. now that that's not a bad choice either because because even though he's not he's no great shakes he's a hell of a lot better than whenever he'd step into the ring before that so right um Okay, most charismatic, uh, no, best on interview, Savage, uh, most charismatic, Hogan. Any comments there? That seems good, yep. Best technical wrestler, best technical wrestler, Hase. Uh, yeah, I, I, would, I would lean towards uh, Naoki Sano, actually, uh, from the sh- your favorite shoot style type promotions. You, 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 okay, yes. Um, <laughs> he has a match versus a very young Ken Shamrock in um, May, which is fabulous. I promise. I really want you to watch that match. Do they leave the map? Uh, very, very vaguely. I mean, it's it's a striking contest, but it's very intense. And uh, I thought there was a lot of good technical ability. In that What's match. The, how long do the headlocks go? <laughs> it's not very headlocky. I'm only joking. Okay. Um, Bruiser Brosey Memorial Award. That is, of course, for best brawler. He's, he's giving it to Bull uh, Nakano. Yep, I, I can see that. Best high flyer. Yoshiro Asai. Asai. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know who that is, right? No. 
Ultimo Dragon. Oh, um, right. okay, okay. Uh, I, w- I would go with El Hijo Del Santo there. Um, just kind of to give him a bone. I think his best two, uh, two matches in 1991 are in the first half of the year uh, versus Brazo de Oro and then uh, versus Negro Casas, probably his greatest rival. Mel- Meltzer gave out a huge amount of awards here. Uh, most underrated wrestler, and uh, now he's picked uh, Naoki Sano. Okay, yep, I can certainly get behind that. Uh, best pro- best promotion, and this goes to what you were saying before, All Japan Women's. Yeah, I, I would I would still be leaning towards... I, I, sometimes I feel like I have a bias towards All Japan, especially in 1990s, but it's, it's just my favorite style of wrestling probably of all time, so I, I gotta lean towards All Japan. They were still cooking out some great stuff around this time. I think WF had a pretty good 91 under the radar. WWF is an interesting 91, I'd say, where the highs are really high, mm. and their and their pay-per-view uh, output is, is really good when you look at it. Like, Rumble 91 has the great opener, uh, kind of the shocking title change to Slaughter, and then the Rumble, which is what it is. And then WrestleMania 7 has a lot of good stuff kind of mixed in, and SummerSlam 91 is one of the uh, better the sum is greater than each individual part type shows where the booking carried it but then they also have some weird like kooky shit like there's so much memorable stuff with the savage and uh, warrior uh, savage and jake stuff and then savage and warrior and stuff like that but there's some dreadful stuff too with the desert storm uh, Iron Cheek returning back <laughs> as a descendant of Saddam and what have you. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, uh, true. Um, so his best television show, he, he's given that to All Japan, but he wanted to give it to All Japan Women's, but he couldn't because they don't have a week-to-week show or something. Um, so he's like all over All Japan Women's at, at this point, Meltzer. Uh, his match of the year, he wants to either give it to Bull Nakano versus uh, Hakuto, uh, or war games, but he's leaning towards war games. Does uh, he uh, give the date on that match? Is it January eleventh? January fifth, I think it was. Oh, January. Uh, yes, I'm sorry. It's January fourth. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's a good match. I mean, my my match of the year overall for 1991 is Savage versus Warrior, which right. is kind of a I, I'd say a niche pick, but uh, if I had to choose based just strictly on work rate it'd be that six man from all japan from 420 that i referenced earlier that's i got that at four and three quarters it's a great match and then rookie of the year he's given to lightning kid from global um which he wasn't yeah i I, I hate rookie of the year for the observer wars because it's so vague but uh that's not he he does try he does try to define it as somebody who's been in the ring for less than a year Someone who's literally in their first year as a wrestler. Oh, that's how he, that's how he okay. tries to define it. So it's gotten more vague over the years because now it's um like first year in a major promotion. So right. just to bring stuff to modern day, there's a uh, guy in CMLL right now, Ray Hechicero, who's been wrestling for 16 mm-hmm. years, but it's his first year in a quote-unquote major promotion. Right. So people might vote for him for Rookie of the Year. But yeah, Lightning Kid's great choice you won't get it do we point. think global is a major promotion i i guess in 1991's landscape global probably technically would count as a major promotion so 
And then manager of the year, he says, is between Sherry and Paul Bearer. And he gives it to Paul Bearer. Uh, wrong choice. Sherry is amazing in that Mania match. Her switching to Ted. Uh, even though I think she got a little lost in the shuffle with Ted with his whole deal with Virgil. I still think she made the most of it when she could. Uh, like the matches, like there's that uh, Saturday night's main event match that Ted has with Brett um, that she's very active around. So so I, I, I definitely love Sherry. I, w- I will say, I can't remember which tape it was, but there's a, there's a Coliseum Home videotape where they do manager cam on Sherry. Have you ever seen that? No. Christ. She's like, Teddy! Like... She's got a mic. You you can hear everything she says because she's mic'd up, and she and she's uh, oh, anybody who's seen it will will remember it. It is it is excruciating. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a ten minute match, and she's uh, going on about Teddy Boy all the time. Um, best TV announcer. He doesn't really seem to fancy anyone, and almost gives it to Jim Ross by default. But he doesn't seem to like Ross Ross's work. He says Vince McMahon has uh, no credibility. So he can't give it to Vince. So, yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed Ross this year. He's worked with a variety of partners and done well. I'm tempted to give it to Shivani. You know, I think he's been excellent. Um, just based on two shows, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> best uh, major wrestling card. He says Wrestle War probably. Although he does consider various Tokyo shows, but he gives it to Wrestle War. Yeah, don't have a huge problem with that, I guess. And then, weirdly, the final award is Best Wrestling Maneuver. Uh, Ori Hara's Moonsault Out of the Ring. Okay. <laughs> so, so there we go. Oh, like, I, just real quick, actually, I would I do have a dispute of uh, best, best Wrestling card. There was a, an All Japan card on April 18th that has a Hanson... Spivey versus Williams and Gordy tag match, which is really cool with Hanson selling the uh, the uh, he, he sells an injury throughout the match. So it has that match. It has a Kenta Kobashi versus Dan Crawford or uh, Phil LaFon match. It's third from the top, and that's that's a good kind of juniors type match, like three and a quarter stars. And then kind of your main event is that Jumbo Masawa match I referenced earlier for the Triple Crown. So yeah. that's that's three really good matches on in, top. In fairness to Meltzer, he does cite that card, but he, re- he reckons that he's only seen the big matches from it, so he can't pick it because he, right. he hasn't seen the whole thing or something like that. So, yeah, I, can, I guess okay. that's fine. Okay, so so that was uh, that was a little bit of a departure, but I thought it was interesting to, to see if you... You're broadly in line with Meltzer there, Chad, surprisingly. Yeah, I I would say in general, Meltzer and us are, I would say we're aligned more often than we're not. It just seems like sometimes there's these big discrepancies that really make me scratch my head or that Meltzer gets on some of these tangents sometimes that I don't kind of understand why he's uh, being such a, a... you know he's carrying the flag for he gets kind of carried away with some of these issues that i see irrelevant but i mean there's always the ratings that i can throw out there that i'm like oh he's way off like anderson versus regal from super brawl uh four but but i would say more times than not if Meltzer likes it and says it's great i usually at least think it's uh really good so 
Okay, well, there's even more news uh, for, for, for this uh, particular uh, observer because there's talk of Flair going to WF, but Dave says that it's uh, still a little bit premature, um, even though there seems to be a lot more of it. Um, now, as I understand, the torch had already kind of broken on this. They, they've already said the Flair's going, right? Yeah, yeah, they were, well, they were kind of, I don't know if it was this torch. Actually, in this torch, they, in torch 133, they're still speculative. But right. by the next week, it's, yeah, he's headed that way. There's also a lot of speculation running rampant that there's going to be some changes in the top brass at WCW because Jack Petrick has ordered Jim Hurd to compile a written report with details of his plan to get the company back on its feet by the end of the year. In addition, Petrick has mandated across-the-board research into every aspect of the wrestling operation, including marketing surveys of fans to determine a method of turning the company into one that is profitable. And I'm literally picturing Jack Petrick as like Alec Baldwin from uh, 30 Rock or something. (laughs) um, Meltzer says they'd uh, be better off spending their money on calling two or three people who understand the wrestling business. He thinks that the market research is basically worthless. Do you agree with him, Chad? Um, yeah, I, I, I disagree with that, but I think it's all relative to how much money was actually being spent. I wouldn't uh, earmark a chunk of that. So would would, would you spend? Would you send a guy with a clipboard out among wrestling fans and ask them what they want? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think that's very conducive because that's kind of there's there's the adage of playing to your audience but I, I think in some ways you have to dictate what the audience will respond to and then adjust accordingly can you imagine what jim Hurd's action plan was like <laughs> i can only imagine the details of that report yeah there's no telling um in, in related news, Bill Watts said that he is willing to run the company, but he wants a percentage of the turnaround in the bottom line, uh, which is the sticking point with Watts. Um, Brian Pillman will be back as himself from September. And, um, oh, and, and it's also in the feedback at Pro Wrestling Only, did you see Superstar Sleezes? That's uh, Marty Sleaze, <laughs> as I like to call him. Um, he, did you see the defense of Yellow Dog that you put together? Yeah, I, I ignore Marty Sleaze. He has uh, no-sold me on too many occasions. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I so... can't be bothered with these young punks. <laughs> okay, well, that's there at Pro Wrestling Only for you to look at. Um, his uh, defense of the yellow dog. Um, I, don't, I don't know how he... I, I, I did read that, and I, I understood that, but... I still don't understand how that's successful. Like, even if, yeah, everybody is kind of in on the joke, but why, uh, how does that help Pillman as a performer? You know what I mean? Like, like right now, uh, in modern day, Cody Rhodes is doing a Stardust, which is a playoff of Goldust gimmick. And, I mean, I mean, it's cute the first couple of times you see it, and it's like, oh, haha, that's funny. But when you, when you start thinking about it, I think cognitively you start kind of questioning well really how does this advance his career and is this kind of a long-term thing that he can do to be successful no i agree I'm, i have to say i'm not really convinced either and i, I told you my booking idea make it Aguiante. i think that would be the funniest thing in the world like uh like with it when they went if they if they made him the yellow dog 
and then everybody made out that they didn't know it was him. That would be funny because only El Gionto looks like that. Anyway, uh, there's going to be a tournament for the new uh, junior heavyweight title coming soon. Um, Dusty has booked himself on the upcoming Tokyo Dome show, teaming with Dustin against Sato and uh, Wyndham. There's also Sting and Muta versus the Steiners and uh, El Gigante versus Vader planned for that show. Um, Eddie Gilbert is coming back in. They've ordered a new WCW belt, which will be worth $17,000. The one that Flair um, uh, has was purchased for 28000 at the time, uh, which would have been back in, what, 84, 85, I guess? I think 85 they bought that big gold in. Yeah, the big gold. It's now worth closer to $40,000. Uh, Luger, for his title win, was wearing an old Florida title with a makeshift metal plate saying world title on it. Um, uh, what do you make of the new WCW belt? Because we, we get to see it for the first time. Yeah, it's. I would say it's pretty nondescript. Um, a, a very neutral belt. Not one I hate, but not one that I adore either. So, not not a lot of big thoughts on it. Yeah. Well, if I give you a choice between that belt and the spinner, what would you take? <laughs> well, I would take it over the spinner, but the spinner is one of the ones that I'm not neutral on. Um, I mean, I guess I guess like it versus the U.S. championship that they had with the flag forever. I mean, I, mean, I might take the U.S. championship over that. And I'll, I always like the big gold. Do you like the big gold? Because some people yeah. think it's very clunky and big looking. and no. Just- I like the mid gold, uh, the big gold, and I, I, I do not like the uh, the old NWA title that replaced. I always think it looks a bit hokey and a bit small and rubbish, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like basically Harley Race's belt. I, I never like that belt. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, I mean, does anybody like the spinner belt? I don't think anybody like. Yeah, I, I, I would be surprised to see a fan of that. <laughs> right. Now, listen to this, Chad. Uh, Teddy Long, PN News, and Johnny B. Bad appeared on the Black Entertainment Network on a, on, a, on a sports talk show. Meltzer said that the funniest part was when the presenter asked why it's been so hard for black guys to get into pro wrestling when PN News is a white boy from Nebraska and bad as a Jewish guy with a great tan from <laughs> New York City. <laughs> I, th- I think he should have asked uh, Vlad the Superfan to be on that show as well. What do you reckon? <laughs> I guess so. Uh, get, get his public opinion on that since... <laughs> Nobody seems to know definitively what race he is. <laughs> two, two shows we spent discussing it last week. Uh, and finally, they scrapped plans for the four-man American Patriots uh, and for the related <laughs> TV show. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah, uh, right. it's, it's just going to be Firebreaker Chip and Todd Champion. Uh, Bill Kazmaier will be using a different role, which we'll see on the, on the show today. Uh, Pez Watley isn't coming in. Meltzer says that the planned gimmicks for Curtis Thompson, that's Firebreaker Chip, so far have been completely ridiculous. Maybe next he can be Chip the Milkman, quips Meltzer. Or how about the Avon lady? So, uh, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, my next one is August the 12th. Okay, so uh, Torch 133, real quickly, just a couple of uh, tidbits. Apparently this clash that we're watching today was supposed to be headlined by Zink versus Luger. And uh, get this, a Georgia red clay match, which would feature 10 guys wrestling in mud. If that doesn't sound like wrestle crap, I don't know <laughs> what does. Uh, they said the buy rate for the bash was a 0.9, which 
which doesn't seem terrible. Um, kind of, kind of, it's okay, not great for around this time, but but kind of the centerpiece of this one. And then there's a couple of uh, torches in this set that do that. Is a, there's a Bill Watts torch talk, and this is one of the more infamous ones that Watts did. It's a three-hour interview that if you actually subscribe to the Torch VIP, you can uh, hear the audio form of the interview. But it's it's very all-encompassing up to that time. Watts gives a lot of uh, a lot of background between what was going on when Crockett purchased the UWF, whether he had been asked to come in, whether he's tried to become the head booker, stuff like that. You know Watts will pull no punches, so even though if you don't necessarily agree with everything he says, I think you get a candid view on what he believes in, which is, is a certain amount I can respect, uh, especially when talking about uh, the wrestling community. In this one, he, he blasted Dusty, talks about how he never stole talent from Jerry Jarrett, uh, talks about how he operated. I thought this was pretty astute. Like, he... He, uh, in his defense against Dusty, he talked about how Dusty talked about he in Florida he would break records like attendance wise at these certain stadiums and events, and, and Watts kind of counteracts that by saying it's not necessarily about the uh, the the gate; it's about the gross amount that you make. It's the bottom line. Um, yeah. Which which I thought was pretty interesting. He says he just works on profit, not necessarily how many people are there and whatnot. And uh, he did receive a settlement when Jim Crockett Promotions went bankrupt. Uh, so so this this is in Torch 133. It's three full pages, very engaging stuff. And then I'll just mention in Torch 135, he talks about the steroid stuff. So it, very gripping stuff from the Torch here. Yeah, and uh, Meltzer actually gives that a shout out. It says it's an amazing interview in the in the very next newsletter, so uh, I might go and check it out. Uh, did, did I ever tell you, Chad, that I uh, I went through a little period where I kind of got addicted to Bill Watts audio? Like it yeah. doesn't matter, like it doesn't matter what he was talking about. He could be going on like insane Christian right wing rants and stuff, and I, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter. I just found him. I find the guy quite hypnotic to listen to. It's pretty amazing. Like. Um, so uh, I don't think I've listened to that 94 one, so I, I will track that down. Um, anything else from that one? Uh, that's it for that one, yeah. So, so August the 12th, and uh, Flair is uh, definitely going to WF. Uh, it's been confirmed, and they've already started mentioning him on TV. Now, legally, he's not allowed to make any moves until uh, September the 1st, but uh, basically, you know, this is going to happen. Um, WCW this past Wednesday made another last-ditch effort to get Flair uh, back, um, which I don't quite understand. I mean, d- d- what is this? They fire him and then they try to get him back? Yeah. It's, it's like when uh, when George Costanza walks out of his job and then tries to turn up the next day like nothing happened. It's like, this is like that in reverse. We're, we're going to fire you and now we're going to ask you to come back. It seems like one of these low-ball offers they made him to kind of save face, but... Uh, seemed pretty desperate, actually. Yeah. Um, some sources are saying that they're offering him the booker's job and that Dusty Rhodes' days are numbered. Um, some other people are saying that Patrick has given Hurd and Dusty only two weeks now to come up with the with the plan to save the company after disastrous uh, Great American Bash. Um, the Patriots uh, debuted and have been given a decent push, uh, but they've got no reaction at all on their debut 
Uh, speaking of no reaction at all, Kevin Nash is back as Oz, and people hate it as much as they ever did. Meltzer calls it the biggest flop gimmick of the year, considering how much money they spent on it. And uh, I have to agree. Uh, there's, there's also talk of uh, Abdullah in a white box. Uh, did you watch that footage, Chad? Have you seen uh, Abdullah coming out in the white box? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, GIF boxes that are going around at this point in time. It's it's interesting stuff. So, Well, we'll talk about it later. Uh, Jim Cornette, uh, I thought this was really funny, actually. <laughs> Jim Cornette sent a wreath uh, to Jim Hurd at the WCW offices in Atlanta as sympathy for killing the promotion. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Hurd was said to have laughed it off. I thought that's really funny, and uh, I don't doubt that that's true for a second. Um, Tommy Rich has been charged with possession of marijuana after he was pulled over in uh, Georgia this past Thursday. And according to the WCW hotline, the Freebirds are set to be dumping their manager. We can only hope. And uh, my next one is August the 19th. Uh, So a couple of tidbits from this one is... uh... There is apparently a new policy that says everyone will be fined one day's pay if they no-show an event. Uh, Bruce Mitchell has a good editorial on this torch, his torch 134 on steroids. And then Greg and Vern Gagne, I guess, met with WCW um, at this point in time, which I think is pretty interesting because uh, I guess the wound was still pretty fresh of uh, – AWA going out of business so that's kind of one of those what ifs if uh, they would have been brought in who to knows do what? to do what though I don't I don't know because it, it, it kind of Keller goes over and says it could have just been because of their experience with home video or something like that like he didn't know the specifics of what they came in for so but, that but, was... but, but I mean can you can you imagine the meeting between uh, like what's Vince going to say what I'm going to take uh, business tips off this guy it's <laughs> like WCW sorry not... oh, oh sorry, sorry okay WCW alright yeah okay yeah because that's what WCW need Fern <laughs> <laughs> they take um, themselves back I don't know I, I can't really see any value in Vern uh, in 1991 yeah, I, I don't. I think it's definitely a kind of a time it passed him by situation, but it's still kind of interesting that somebody that less than a decade before, I guess, had one of the top two or three promotions in the U.S. Uh, was meeting with them. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, I mean, it would have been. It, it would have been interesting if he'd had a little run. Uh, you know, same as the Bill Watts run, to see if he could have done any, if he had any ideas, you know. Right. <clears throat> August the 19th, and the Patriots beat the Freebirds for the U.S. title in a horrible match that lasted 15 minutes with a screwed-up finish. Sound, sound familiar? <laughs> um, <laughs> DDP will no longer be managing the Diamond Stud, or indeed anyone. He's been relegated to doing colour commentary on Pro with Eric Bischoff. Um... And uh, he does. He doesn't come back as a manager, does he? DDP is that it now for him? Uh, yeah, he's still hanging around with the Diamond Stud. Um, we'll see him have a cameo at a uh, at Halloween Havoc where he arrives with the Diamond Stud. So he, he's still lingering back there. Okay. Um, uh, Tommy Rich's arrest made most of the papers in Georgia, but he's going to escape uh, any real punishment. Tim Horner has been let go. What a shame. Another one who's been let go is Big Daddy Dink. <laughs> and I've just written here on my notes, get out of here and never come back. 
Uh, House show in Charlotte drew 980 paid. Yeah, I saw that. Awful. Absolutely abysmal. And on August 11th, uh, Greensboro card drew 1,320 paid. But listen to this. And I thought this was hilarious. Some fans at this show, during the main event, put uh, paper bags over their head while chanting, We want flair. Ah. <laughs> so if you can imagine, uh, you know, rows of fans with paper bags on their head. And then on some of the bags, they'd written names like Terry Funk, Mickey Steamboat, Jim Cornette, Great Moosa and Flair. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, I don't know if any footage exists of that show, but uh, I would love to see those fans with the bags on their heads. Yeah, I haven't seen that, but sounds pretty funny. They'll be running uh, fewer jobbers, matches on syndication, and uh, Cactus Jack is apparently deciding between uh, GWF and WCW. And that's... uh, it for August 19th, and my next one is August 26th. Yeah, we're kind of in the dog days of uh, of summer now, because besides the second part of the Watts interview, the only interesting tidbit I wrote down from this torch was apparently Dusty Rhodes was a jerk to some fans that wanted an autograph uh, after the Iowa TV tapings that they did on August 5th, so... Or August 6th, excuse me. Like, some people went up to him in a restaurant and he didn't acknowledge them. So, uh, Keller kind of got bent out of shape over that. What a jerk that Dusty is. Yeah, yeah. Keller kind of jumped on the Meltzer bandwagon and went off on him. Okay, well, I might do then three newsletters. I've got three left. August 26th, September 6th. September 9th, and they're all basically slow news weeks. Yeah, same. Uh, it, it seems like the news really slows up uh, during this time. Um, Flair is planning to take legal action against WCW for wrongful dismissal. And at the same time, WCW lawyers are looking into whether the world title was part of the deal when TBS purchased JCP in 1988. Uh, the belt has been appearing on WFTV. Um, also, uh, there was some biz. I, I don't know if the torches picked up on this, but the, there's some business with Jim Hurd giving a magazine interview, and Flair's lawyer wants to sue him for um, defamation of character, while at the same time Hurd himself wants to take legal action against the journalist for misquoting him. It all sounds very messy. Like there's all sorts of like legal suits flying around between Hurd and Flair and WCW, and it just seems like a mess, you know? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, house show numbers are absolutely pitiful. 750 in Milwaukee, uh, 1,500 paid in Chicago. Things are looking a little bit better in Dylan Hales's neck of the woods, 2,500 in Chattanooga. And that's literally their biggest show for weeks. So, um, And then advanced ticket sales for the Meadowlands Clash are disastrous. Uh, the one that we're watching, only 1,200. Uh, Nikita Koloff is gone because he originally signed for $1,000 a night when it expired that the company didn't want to keep the deal at the same price of the negotiation. So Koloff's gone now. <laughs> um, any big loss, do you reckon, Chad? Um, I'm, I mean, I thought he was fine. Uh, not Certainly not great in his role, but okay. But I don't, I don't think it's a big loss. It's, it's kind of jarring, considering he was just put over Sting on the uh, pay-per-view but I, I don't think it's a huge uh, loss and as we see Sting's in a much hotter feud uh, by this show so um, apparently they were planning to bring in Jim Hurd's hunchback gimmick and they asked Kevin Sullivan to be one of them uh, can, you, can you imagine the look on Kevin Sullivan's face when they asked him to be a hunchback well. um, but apparently they've, they, they've dropped the idea 
And then in the, in, the, in the very next week, WCW officials are denying that there were ever plans to use the hunchbacks. Jim Ross has denied it, but Kevin Sullivan insists that he was asked to be one of them. It is well known, says Meltzer, that Heard thought that the hunchback team would be a great idea as far back as 1989. Um, and uh, weirdly, Kevin Sullivan is let go now. Uh, he's one of several key departures that will be gone, quote, by the time that you read this. And it's Kevin Sullivan, Daddy Dink, Robert Gibson is gone, Koloff, and uh, also probably Dick Murdoch and Dick Slater. Um, so all of this talent going, I'm thinking, can they afford to lose this many guys again? Like the turnover seems to be incredible at WCW. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, kind of a lot of turmoil and uh, a, a good bit of a new roster shift coming in. Uh, Scott Steiner should be back by December and the final piece of news is that uh, well (laughs) house show at Philly um, from August the 30th drew 650 paid and that is absolutely atrocious for Philly 650 people paid Um, and they they did a house in Baltimore for 2,500 but get this kids tickets for that show were priced at 54 cents Mm. 54 cents to get in if you're a kid Melzer said they should have drawn at least 10,000 with pricing like that or more realistically at least 6,000 so that I mean I guess that goes to show you like 54 cents is basically giving the show away and they still can't pack an arena up <laughs> agree it's very, very poor very poor uh, kind of poor times and uh, you you pretty much hit on uh, all the notes I did the only other thing was uh, did, did Meltzer have a bit about him getting to tour Titan Towers did you see oh, that? No, well, maybe I didn't see this. If he okay. if he did, I didn't see it. So I guess Meltzer, Keller, and a couple other people got invited to tour Titan Towers, uh, kind of a glad handing event that Vince, I don't think Vince would ever do now, uh, kind of as a make good. Uh, John Arezzi was the other person, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, Keller does a little editorial on it. That's in Torch number one thirty-seven, and then Torch one thirty-eight is the review of the show. So, well, I mean, it's clear why he is doing that, though, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was trying to get any bit of uh, maneuvering he could uh, heading into the steroid stuff. And ladies and gentlemen, his opponent from New York City. Weighing 290 pounds, making his first appearance in World Championship Wrestling, the heavy hitter, Van Hammer. He calls himself Heavy Metal, Van Hammer, 290 pounds from New York City. A lot of charisma, this big man. All right, so it's September the 5th, uh, Clash of the Champions 16, Fall Brawl. And where where are we, Chad? We're in Augusta, Georgia, uh, kind of continuing the trend of these clashes being in Georgia this year. Uh, Clash 14 was in Gainesville. Uh, this one's in Augusta, and then our next one's in Savannah. So they kind of took the tour of the state. Mm. Ever been to Augusta? Nice. Yeah, actually, a couple of years ago, I had to spend a lot of time in Augusta for my job. Uh, are you familiar with the Masters Golf Tournament, Parv? Yeah, yeah, I know where it is. Yeah, yeah so, so. Uh, kind oh, of oh, the, oh, that's where it is, right, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. Oh, great, okay. Uh, I'd never drawn the connection that Augusta was in Georgia. It's, uh, it's probably, I will say, mm, 
it's probably my second or third favorite town in Georgia. So, okay. so that's the ever important Chad Georgia power rankings. It's in a top <laughs> where, three. Where, where is it? Where, where was that place my parents went? Was that Savannah, wasn't it? Yeah, Savannah. Now, Savannah probably for me would be number one. I don't know if your parents liked it, but oh yeah, they loved it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's probably my number one uh, place in Georgia, and then Augusta's kind of fighting with some parts of Atlanta, if I can stand it, for <laughs> at number two and number three. <laughs> okay. Um... So, uh, well, I mean, just going into this show, the, the hosts of Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone, but I, I don't know about you, Chad, but I just like watching the opening credits and watching, um, you know, the start of this show. I really feel like we've transitioned into like a new era. It feels like we've left the kind of, we're, we're well away from the NWA now. This feels like a completely different ball game with a new, you know, fairly new cast of characters. You know, it, it, do you know what I mean? Did it feel like a new era to you? Like a kind of... Um, I, I guess I would say Great American Bash felt like that. Um, and and I, I don't know. I mean, even with uh, Super Brawl, with stuff like Oz's entrance and stuff, I think we saw what would happen. But, uh, I, I mean, to me, WCW feels pretty frenetic yeah. uh, during this time period where every show... Uh, some stuff is the same like there's there's common threads throughout every show but then there's a lot of differences and i think that like between this show and then a clash that i know in uh in january 1992 to me that clash feels a lot different from what happens on this show uh so so i don't know it, it seems like a big difference in okay. just a few months okay well eric bischoff's in the ring with poorly dangerously and missy hyatt who i uh, seem to have forgotten their beef um and uh, Paulie says he's got an interview coming up with Ron Simmons. And Missy Hyatt is excited to go into the locker room of the champ, Sexy Lexi. Um, and uh, for our first match, uh, <laughs> there's the Georgia Brawl, which is basically a battle royal. And uh, I couldn't really believe they did this. But um, we watch Gary Michael Capetta introduce every single member of this. And they walk <laughs> down the aisle and he gives them the full introduction. <laughs> um and then every once in a while he'd have like uh, a bit, you know, he'd be kind of padding out his thing, and, right. and so he'd like have a little, you know, conjoining sentence or something. It's like, and the next competitor in this roll call of, it was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, he had to filibuster a little bit. Yeah, so well, there's a uh, Z-Man, Tommy Rich, Bobby Eaton, Ranger Ross. Ranger Ross. <laughs> now, did you notice? I thought this was really interesting. The camera did not clip to ranger ross and he did and he didn't get a name caption everybody else got the camera cut to them and a name caption but ranger ross but basically is like he didn't exist sad <laughs> um oz came out without his mask or anything a short haircut too now yep uh tracy smothers pn news buddy lee parker i mean loaded card uh austin stunning steve was there uh dustin rhodes Terry Taylor, Big Josh, Barry Windham, One Man Gang, El Giante. And the common thread through all of this, although, although, although the audio wasn't great on this show, I didn't think anybody was over. <laughs> like, just like nobody really got a cheer there. Or a boo or anything. Yeah, um, not, not a lot of uh, big reactions. Yes, so um, my notes are not particularly extensive for this uh, Battle Royale, because I never know how to take notes during them. But um, what did you make of this? Yeah, I don't like battle royals, and uh, 
and kind of um, as a companion piece with this show, Matt D, who's going to be doing our articles, as we mentioned in Great American Bash, he uh, talks about this match and the Johnny B. Bad uh, Sting match. But uh, And in this particular article, he talks about why he does like Battle Royals and articulates that. But uh, I, I did think Tony was very good on commentary, talking about how his, the strategy is staying in the middle of the ring. Um, that's something I've never really thought about, but it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's going to be tough to get thrown over the top rope if you're a big guy and in the middle of the ring. And then One Man Gang actually had a pretty good showing in this where he he was looking uh, he was looking pretty fierce. Uh, the only other notes I had was Austin and Barry Wyndham eliminated each other and kind of had a little scuffle on the floor. So it looked like they may be feuding with each other. And our final four is Dustin, Oz, One Man Gang, and Giante. And One Man Gang and Oz eliminate Dustin. And then immediately Giante gives a double clothesline to both of them. Uh, so Giante won. He did get, a, I thought, a little good uh, good little pop for winning. But uh, I, I think on the, uh, on the spectrum of Battle Royals, I'm usually not a fan of Battle Royals. And this one was even worse than usual in some ways so i i thought he showed a little bit of fire here the uh the giant um and like he was pretty fired up by the win it's probably the most emotion we've seen from him would you agree gigante's uh winning you over slowly but surely here i I do i do think he's making baby steps with each show um well we'll see in our next show he's in the chamber of horrors i'm interested to kind of watch his movement in that match yeah, I, I, uh, okay, um, yeah, I didn't, uh, I have nothing else to add about the, the Battle Royal, it just isn't, you know, um, it seemed like, to me it just seemed to highlight how shitty the roster was, if anything, you know, that's what, that's all it did, <laughs> just a, and, the, and, and the fact that people weren't generally over, um, the, the next match we've got is the light heavyweight title tournament semi-final, between Bad Street and uh, Flying Brian. Oh, hold on. Uh, what about the? Uh, oh yeah, Meltzer gave it a dud. The, the Battle Royal. Do you rate a uh, Battle Royals par? Nah. Espe- yeah. Especially not ones uh, uh, won by Algiante. <laughs> so so anyway, yeah, Bad Street taking on Flying Brian. Uh, the Freebirds come out with him, and uh, Garvin is just beyond ridiculous at this stage. He's got a um, he's got a, a a new like mustache. He had a sh- he shaved his beard off, and um, according to the, uh, I actually went and looked this up at the uh, what was it the American Institute of Mustaches uh, to see how they describe this mustache. Oh my god! And uh, according to that uh, American Institute of Mustaches, that mustache is known as the horseshoe. <laughs> <laughs> um. So now, uh, how, oh, oh, how how did you? What'd you put in? What mustache does Jimmy Garvin have in well, 1981? I, I googled... My literal Google search was differentiating styles of mustache. <laughs> <laughs> and that came up, so there we go. That's the most par thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um, Shivani put over the uh, £190 to £235 category. And he says that uh, this gives people like Joey Mags the, the chance to win gold. <laughs> um, so, what do you make of uh, what do you make of this? So, I mean, 
secretly, Brian Armstrong versus Pillman is kind of like a you know a good matching prospect, right? Yeah, I, I uh, well, as as we'll go through the show, the show as we mentioned a couple of times is very nondescript, and so uh, I, I like this match a pretty good bit. It only goes eight minutes, but I thought it was a kind of high octane, uh, good all action type match. It's good to see Flying Brian back. And and he seemed really fired up for this. He does that nasty suicide dive in this match where he kind of has to block his hands and barely does, or else he'd hit the uh, guardrail face first. And I thought I thought the action was really good. When it starts out, Brian hits a good head scissors, some slip flip, a drop kick, uh, bad street suplexes Pillman from the ring to the outside, and that looked pretty nasty too, where they both kind of landed awkwardly. And then Pillman sent into the guardrail and then actually gets sent back into the ring post uh, back first. And Pillman gets a drop kick when Bad Street goes to the top to take over again. And they both go for drop kicks and are down. Uh, Bad Street gets the DDT for a near fall, um, but then kind of goes to the top rope home and gets a crossbody after shoving Bad Street off. And he wins the match to advance. I, I gave this one two and three quarters. Um, I enjoyed it a good deal. Yeah, I get. Well, Meltzer went three and three quarters. He thought it was really good, really quite good. I think uh, I liked it less. I I gave it two and a half. I thought. Um, well, first thing, Bad Street had very very little heat. He he just wasn't over in any single way. Uh, they just didn't care. Um, I thought Pillman really uh, ranked. You know, he he was doing some uh, high flying. I guess some like more kind of spot orientated stuff um it was a decent match but i felt that it was a bit just disjointed and that the performance of uh, bad street brought it down a good bit he was really stilted i thought like you could see him thinking about what to do next and he kept on fiddling with his mask all the time it's like he uh, didn't like working with the mask on so yeah i did i didn't um i thought he was poor so <laughs> <They're really laughs> Wow. Um, now, actually, and I should have—I meant to mention this right at the top of our show, but uh, uh, big news, Parf. But I've rebranded my Twitter. Oh right. Okay. So, so, so the Twitter is now at Big Boys Play WCW. That's the handle. Uh, big Boys Play WCW. It's the where the big boys play Twitter. And I sent out the question that we were recording. And uh, Charles had this as a talking point, and you mentioned it. Uh, but his talking point is was Tony constantly talking about how it's good that they have the uh, light heavyweight division to exist for guys like Brad Armstrong, the best way to get over the title. Yeah. Um, well, and, I, and I can see both sides of that, because on one hand, to me, I'll just give my answer. On one hand, it, it does kind of differentiate them. But it also, in, in kind of a subtle way, buries them as well. Uh, so overall, I think it, I think it's nice that he's bringing up differences between the light heavyweight division and the other matches on the card. But I wouldn't constantly bring up the the weight limit and stuff like that, like he does a good bit. Yeah, uh, I I don't know. I mean, I've never been high on uh, the idea of having a light heyweight title. I remember in the 90s in the heyday right that was the uh, i mean i know i'm gonna see a lot more of it on this show i'm sure but right. I, I remember when i first got online 
that was the kind of reserve of the hardcores. Everybody loved the, the, the light heavyweight division or the junior division, right? Right, yeah. Um, and I just, uh, I just think that it, like you said, it doesn't. It makes it feel like not a big deal. So why should I care? Um, it's it's not like, but I mean, it's not like boxing where you can have different weight divisions that mean something. I I, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it, it for me, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like it means. Like I I never liked uh, even when they bought it in like uh, when Malenko had. The title when he was in the Radicals in 2000. Do you remember when they all had the titles? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember thinking even then, like, well, his title basically doesn't mean anything. What you can beat some small guys, it doesn't. It's just like, so that's just that's always been my view anyway. I'm sure other people have got um, different views on that. I can see like more. I, I guess fans who veer more towards viewing wrestling as a sport or as a worked sport or something like that. Um, could see it, but yeah, not me. So, and uh, yeah, I I think you're right. Uh, Shivani kind of buried like <laughs> saying that it's a title that Joey Mags can win. Yeah. To me, to me yeah. buries it, you know. So yeah, that's not a, a a good vote of confidence. So. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's go down the WCW top ten. Number ten, Bobby Eaton. Number nine, uh, Tom Zink. Number eight, the Diamond Stud. Number seven is One Man Gang. Six, Dustin Rhodes. Five, Austin. Four, El Gigante. Three, Wyndham. Two, Ron Simmons. One, Sting. And, of course, the champion is Luger. How's that for a depth chart? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so Nikita completely erased, of course, uh, off of this. And uh, I, I'm not, not a bad top ten. I was kind of surprised that Diamond Stud made it, actually. Yes, and I have. A, I will just give you a tease. I have a little uh, paths rant coming up on on that very topic. Okay. Um. So Johnny B. Bad taking on Sting, and uh, Johnny B. Bad has been undefeated up up until this point, and of course he's a, he's a flamboyant performer. Uh, Sting is uh, all in yellow today, and uh, we get the clip of Abdullah the Butcher attacking Sting. Right. Um. It, now, what do you think? What do you think of this angle? I think this angle is pretty interesting. Feels different and like, you know, not terrible. Uh, feels feels different, and I would say one thing with Sting is angles that we've struggled with is there's not that type of personal vendetta. Uh, I mean, like Black Scorpion. Why did he really want to get after Sting? He said he's from his past, but he does magic tricks and does all this other stupid shit. Um, so, so I thought this was refreshing that this angle felt like they were coming after Sting and personally attacking him and his character, yeah. uh, which which kind of made you cheer for Sting better. I, I think they tried that with the Nikita feud, but I think this exemplified that uh, those types of emotions a lot better. Yeah, and, uh, well, I mean, basically during this match, a uh, box is delivered to ringside, um, and then Bad stops and thinks it's for him. He's like, ooh, <laughs> box. <laughs> and then Sting sees it. And there's a moment in the match where they just stop. Right, right, they're, yeah. They're both just looking at the box. Then Sting gets an inside cradle on Bad out of nowhere and pins him. Um, and then uh, obviously inside the box, or not obviously, it's Cactus Jack and he attacks Sting. He, uh, he gets a big elbow from the top to the outside, um, uh, hits a DDT. Um 
really this was more of an angle than a match would you agree i mean is there anything to say about the match yeah well i thought i thought the match was off to a pretty good start uh, they shook hands which i thought was weird because bad's still kind of a quasi heel you know yeah yep. Uh, but they, that that was odd. But and then they had a really fast-paced opening, which we've we've been pretty tough on bad in ring so far, and and thought he looked green. And I thought that opening here showed more promise than he had uh, up to this point. And then I was kind of excited to see where the match progressed. But like you said, like almost after that, the the match kind of slows down with some basic arm work, and then we get the the gift box coming down and the description you just gave. So, so I was a little disappointed that the match started off good and then kind of petered out more towards the angle, but I thought the angle was really good and cactus looked great. Uh, that, that elbow drop to the floor is one of the more iconic cactus moments. Yeah. So, so kind of a, a real good debut for him on a national stage. Yeah. And you know, he is underrated as I say, um, <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, in the first two minutes of this match, the thought flickered across my mind, could this be a Sting carry job? Could this be the one instance where Sting carries a clearly like green opponent? Because when he hit that suplex, I was like, oh, this match might be going somewhere. And then, of course, you know, it, it basically comes to a standstill. Um, now, Meltzer gives this, gives this whole thing one star, and he gets in a really bad mood. Uh, randomly let me, let me just read this out to you chad he says it's pretty annoying when the announcers called sting the most popular athlete ever to compete on tbs they should have called him the first man on mars uh, and the discoverer of the cure of polio as well because those wouldn't have been much more of an exaggeration sting is an athlete on tbs who is popular but he's hardly magic johnson um is this <laughs> is this um really uh worthy of a rant from it seems a weird thing to start getting yeah. angry about so this is kind of what i was talking about earlier where i guess Meltzer took grave offense to that one throwaway line and seems very offended by it and i don't quite understand what his beef is now i think this angle is pretty interesting because it's like well who's the mastermind behind the present you know um, I'm sure it was been done before. It definitely was done in Georgia, and I never got to find out what was in the bloody box. Um, I'm trying to remember who that was too now. Butch Reed, <laughs> Butch Reed sent uh, Buzz Sawyer a box in uh, in 1991, and we never got. In, sorry, in 1982, I think, and we never got to see what was in it, uh, which was really, really annoying for me watching. Oh, what a cliffhanger! Yeah, I know. Um, so. Yes. Um, what else happens here? Um, let's move. Let's move on. We can talk more about the, the box in, in a moment, because um, right now it's Richard Morton taking on Mike Graham in the other light heavyweight tournament semi semi final match. And um, as this match starts, um, I have to say that Mike Graham is the least has the generates the least heat I've ever heard ever in wrestling um, at the start of this match. I would give his over his overness rating with this crowd is an F minus because I mean Mike Graham may, might as well have been a name a no name jobber for, for all the amount they cared about him here. Um, any any thoughts on this? I mean Mike, Mike Graham in his day was not a bad worker, you know. So in prospect, this could have been a good match. Did you think it was? 
no. <laughs> it was not a good match. I, I don't know what happened here, whether Morton just didn't care or what, because this was odd where, uh, I mean, Morton, first off, he changed his look a little bit. He had come to the black pants, uh, looked a little more serious and less rock and roll expressy. And this starts with a more wrestling base, but, I mean, I wrote it in my notes, and you just touched on it. I mean, the heat was absolutely non-existent. And, uh, and I thought Graham sold moves very weirdly. Like, at one point, uh, Morton gets a knee up in the corner, mm-hmm. and the way, the way Graham sells it is just completely awkward. Um, and, and then he, Graham goes on offense and works the leg for a little bit, but it... it I really don't know what to say about this match. It was just, uh, it, it was about eight minutes and just never really got going and seemed to drag on forever. The, the finish is Alexander York distracts, uh, distracts Nick Patrick, but it doesn't really lead much of anywhere. As, as I mean, Graham just pushes him into the turnbuckle and wins with a roll-up. I mean, it wasn't like uh, Morton did this dastardly cheating move because York had Patrick distracted, so I, I kind of didn't understand the premise of that. I, I thought this was pretty dreadful and kind of grinded the show to a halt, which was disappointing. I mean, I, I really, I don't know if I've seen a Ricky Morton match get eight minutes and be as bad as this. I couldn't think of one right offhand. I mean, well, Mike Graham had definitely seen better days. Um, right. He looked really off the pace here. Match had no flow. Finish was awkward. Uh, yeah, bad. Um, what I will say is that, I mean, Mike, <laughs> I did watch one really good Mike Graham match um, from 1981, Florida, kind of summertime, uh, against, believe it or not, Dory Funk Jr. They worked this really weird um, Australian rules match where they have like seven rounds or six rounds. Um, and that's got like uh, yeah, I gave that match four stars um, so it's not like Mike Graham can't work I think the problem is is that he was trying to work like a really old school match here and it just didn't like it, you know it didn't help that nobody cared and you know Morton didn't seem to be wanting to work that sort of match no, it, was, no. it was really it was really weird disjointed like clash of styles and um I'm guessing Mike Graham must have been done not too far after this, like as a worker. I, I know he has a cameo in um in uh, Halloween Havoc, but yeah, surely. And actually, I think he's in Starcade, so he's in three of the next our next shows, which is shocking. But but I can't remember him too far after that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm wondering if he's being kept around just as a kind of charity case, you know, where uh, where like Dusty's doing him a favor or. Or maybe, and I've got in the back of my mind that he still technically owns like a tiny bit of the Florida promotion that Crockett bought. So like he's technically like <laughs> in some weird way owed a job. So he might, so they might as well use him. I, I'm sure somebody will correct me if that's wrong, but I remember reading that somewhere. So he's um, he's still connected with them in some way. Anyway, uh, now we have the strongest man in the world, Bill Kazmaier. A world record holder and they actually show us the uh, the record from 1981 in the Guinness Book of Records right um, and Eric Bischoff is in the ring in his most kind of sleazy salesman mode uh, here to introduce this um, and uh, Kazmaier wants to set 
a new world record by bending a steel bar over his head. Now, I, I don't really get this. How can that be a world record? Like, what's the deal? Yeah, I, I don't know if it was like the diameter of the bar was uh, bigger than any other bar that had been bent. That I, I thought they did a good job getting over that he legitimately is this strong guy. I mean, I mean, you know, they like in 2000. I, I love Mark Henry, but they still announce him as the world's strongest man. It's like he was in the Olympics in 1996. So, yeah. he, and in 2014, he is not the world's strongest man. But, uh, but Kazmaier, I mean, them showing the Guinness Book of World Records was, I thought, a clever way to bring some legitimacy to him. Mm-hmm. But, but they didn't get over what he was trying to attempt here. And, I mean, how stupid was it for him to attempt this on the same night he has a big tag title match? (laughs) Well, um, call me suspicious, Chad, but I didn't see a Guinness employee there. Oh, so you're saying this was a a gimmicked bar? What I'm saying is is that this was not really a world world record attempt. Oh, I don't know if this was a legitimate world record, but even that, I mean... If it's not a legitimate world record, why not just do like the the uh, powers of pain gimmick and have him act like he's lifting some weights or doing a bench press or something? But, but I, I don't understand how the record works. How can you be? How can that be a record? Spending a steel bar. What is it? The thickness of the steel? That's what I think. It's like the thickness of the diameter. I don't know. I don't know why. I took the slide. I was confused too. <laughs> terrible, terrible world record. Just saying. <laughs> I mean, to me, if 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 you're teaming with Rick Steiner and he's the brains of the tag team, you're in trouble. Because I thought it was incredibly foolish of Kazmaier to attempt this on the uh, world. I mean that. I don't know, but it, it, this would be like on my wedding day, me trying to close a big deal for my job. I mean, I don't, I don't know, just, you got other stuff in the pot. Why is he trying to do this world record tonight? Chad, did you just compare your wedding to Arn oh, Anderson and Larry's Abisco chicken on Bill Kazmaier and Rick Um... Anyway, the fans really didn't give a shit about it. I think no. this this crowd was pretty mean, weren't they? They just didn't... yeah. I mean, Bish, Bischoff even at one point has to plead with the fans to try to rally behind this poor guy. Come, come on, give him a cheer. <laughs> um, and anyway, I have to admit, I popped. I I popped myself when Arn and La- uh, Zabisco came and attacked him with a weight. I started laughing. I was like, awesome. <laughs> Thank God this segment was saved from being complete shite, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, very, very foolish of Bill. And 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 Rick, did you see him come out? I mean, he he did not show much desperation when he kind of casually jogs out to the ring after they do the attack. So just a quick question. I don't know if you know Bill Kazmaier. Had he had he been wrestling long at this point? Like had he? No. Uh, yeah, very fresh. So he just decided that he was going to try try his arm at pro wrestling after being a strong man. Basically. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think he thought his, I mean, he knew his kind of days as the world's strongest man in those competitions, winning was kind of numbered. Um, right. So, so he sort of, I mean, he he done that in uh, nineteen early nineteen at nineteen eighties. Yeah. Was he won the competition uh, a few years in a row, and then then he competed. But but by this point in time, his his days were numbered. So I, I guess he just decided to give his hand in wrestling, and then he ended up being an announcer. So 
Okay, um, so so let's look at the next match. Uh, it's um, the free. Oh, did, did you enjoy the uh, Arn and Larry with the weight? I, that one was pretty cool. I mean, I mean, using the weight in the midsection, I thought was different too. Yeah. Uh, so that was because that would legit hurt, wouldn't it? A weight to to your to your ribs. Right. That would, that would hurt. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't feel good. Um, so Freebirds and uh, taking on the Patriots now in a rematch. Um, Garvin, of course, in his uh, horseshoe moustache. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I have to say, I, I couldn't, I can't help but think that uh, I don't know if it's just on the super shows or if it's on the TV too, but I feel like Michael Hayes is really wasted. Like, when was the last time he got any mic time, or when was the last time he cut a promo? Because like, we don't see Hayes on the mic at all on these shows. Yeah, yeah guess... well, especially now that they don't have the entourage anymore, too. Yeah, it's it's, it's a weird misuse of Hayes, I would say, uh, here. Um, anyway, uh, did you have any thoughts on on this uh, on this match? <laughs> <laughs> so, so a couple of things here. I uh, I made a note of this a couple of times. Ross brought up uh, the Atlanta Braves. And this series that started on TBS versus the Mets uh, coming up tomorrow, mm. which, which I thought kind of showed how still regionalized WCW as a national promotion could be at a time. Mm. And, it, and, and in some ways, it just felt like how small uh, the world was in, in certain aspects, even in 1991. Because, I mean, right now you would... I mean, maybe a Super Bowl or something like that, but I, I would be very doubtful that Michael Cole would bring up some insignificant football game or random baseball game in the town they're in. I mean, they weren't even in the hometown. Uh, it was in Georgia, but just sort of this kind of insignificant event, sporting event, because, I mean, you're over in England. You don't really care no. uh, who the Braves are playing. So that, that, that just seemed a little bit off. Also, uh, Garvin, we didn't get a yeah, yeah, yeah tonight, but we did no. some new quotes to the repertoire, which I enjoyed. Uh, yes. we, had, we had, all right, all right, shut your mouth. Yes. And, and uh, my personal favorite was, I'm coming home, baby, I'm coming home. <laughs> if you if you were to see my notes, Chad, my notes, my notes are literally, and I'll read them verbatim, nothing match, full stop. I'm coming home, baby. I'm coming home. <laughs> That's all my notes say for this match. Um, I, I also noticed that when he took the um, arm bar at the start of the match, he took the like the arm wrench. Mm-hmm. He was like, no, 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 ow! <laughs> it's like really, really ridiculous, over the top. He's uh, is is he slowly but surely winning me round with his uh, with his ridiculous uh, talk? I don't I think, know. I think the older he gets, it's more kind of now where like <laughs> it's a secret where he knows he's not cool anymore, but he's still clamoring to anything he has, any kind of coolness that he thinks he has left or retained. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. This match was awful again. Um, I, I, this had had to have one of the shortest face and peril segments that I've ever seen where Hayes did a cheap shot on Chip, and I thought, okay, finally, they're taking over a little bit. And then immediately, I mean, we're talking 20 seconds later, Carvin puts his head down, and Chip is able to reverse a move and tag in champion. Um, I, I, I thought this was really bad in the, in the uh, 
the double clothesline from the top that Chip gives, it's, it's, it's awful. It's one of the most blown, awkward-looking moves you'll see. And uh, and it ends with Hayes get doing an elbow from the second rope and Garvin pins him. Match was a mess, and it was all babyface offense. Uh, really didn't like this one either, so the show's kind of grinded to a halt again. Uh, Meltzer says the Patriots are nowhere near ready as workers. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, let's move on. Match. Sucked. Did Did you rate it? I mean, I went. I went a star. Yeah, while well, Meltzer gave it a star. Yeah, I, th- I think that's being a bit generous. <laughs> it was bad. It really was bad. Um, although, I mean, yeah, maybe Garvin's quotes are worth the star. Yeah. <laughs> um. Now we get the interview with Paulie, Dangerously, and Cactus Jack, who I have to say seems to have improved a hell of a lot since we saw him in 1990. Oh, God, yeah. Like, I don't know. And it's almost like overnight because that's kind of one of the things. I mean, uh, obviously people love Cactus Jack as a promo, and he, I, I, I think it's fair to say he's probably one of the all-time greats. But, um, but in 1990, he was one of the worst promos in early 1990 with this weird accent and just terrible delivery and stuff that didn't make sense. But something clicked, and uh, he's he's pretty fabulous here. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it, and he, he had a lot of the mannerisms down already. Um, so yeah, I mean, in some ways, you could see it as a potentially uh, career-making, like potentially career making i somebody watching it may have thought maybe one day this guy will actually be a star because uh you know this is his first really kind of major exposure would you say yes yeah yeah um i mean a little bit in 1990 but i would say this is as far as a really big spot yeah Yeah, i mean he's essentially a jobber in 1990 right um right the bo- and during this interview, uh, uh, the white, uh, there's a white box, and Paulie's like, oh, what's Abdullah doing here? And they, they obviously they all assume it's Abdullah, and Cactus Jack like, is like, I don't, I don't know. Um, and, uh, of course, it's not Abdullah, it's Sting, who then um, <laughs> attacks him, gives him a hip toss onto the off the ramp, onto the concrete, uh, a, dro- a standing drop kick, um, Cactus Jack gets a, an actual trash can full of rubbish and uh, we actually see basically a sneak peek of the brawls that they would go on to have next year uh, even at the uh, end of this year there's a TV match that we'll watch uh, from November a submit or surrender match um, Yeah, but... and it, it does feel different to everything else that's going on this stuff with Cactus Jack I have to say so, so I had a talking point too around this and it's another thing I'm a little conflicted on I'm interested in your opinion I haven't really fully formulated mine but um but so I mean Cactus takes that big hip toss to the concrete floor and he gets right up which Ross puts over huge which really helps Cactus out but do you think him kind of taking those dangerous bumps and no selling them kind of hurts everybody else um and makes everybody else look kind of like a wuss, or do you think like just his character as a crazy man mm-hmm. is enough to kind of overcome that? And you can kind of just see how it's an isolated incident that he'd be able to actually enjoy or withstand the amount of pain he does. 
No, I, 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 I lean towards the latter because I think the, I think the commentators do a good job putting out. Like he's obviously a, an unhinged, crazy character. Right. Um, and that's kind of his deal that he takes crazy bumps, right? So. Yeah, I don't think it does much to harm anyone else. I think if it was Tom Zenk out there doing it, it would. With Tom yeah. Zenk's character, you know, but with like he he looks different from all the other wrestlers anyway. It's like he doesn't look like a wrestler, you know, kind of. Um, you know, like he doesn't doesn't have the typical body type of a wrestler. Then I guess. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it devalues the. I don't think anybody has to take harder bumps just because Cactus Jack is doing it. Right, right. Uh, that's that's kind of the thing, like, um, because in some ways I do feel like he he one upped everybody so much that um, and 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 I think really I guess the most gratuitous example of this, of course, is the Hell in the Cell in uh, nineteen ninety eight. Like, how do you go anywhere from that? But um, mm. but but this was an example I thought of too, a pretty clear example, and and even I, I don't think Foley in his book does himself great favors because like in the match versus Vader where he's taking those bumps and talks about Bobby no selling it on commentary. Uh, it, it seems like he really kind of depends on the announcers to get him over in some ways. And well, I guess well, give him a pass. Well, what, what I will say is that that hip top off the ramp was a crazy bump. For any, yes. And he's obviously the most insane bump on the show. Right. It, it's, it's not like it got a very big reaction. And I mean, this crowd wasn't that wasn't that excitable anyway. They were kind of like a lukewarm crowd. Agreed. But it's like if you are going to do it, at least I mean, you know, you hear the old timers talk. You've got to do more with less. I I think sometimes Foley is a guy who sometimes he's putting you know he's putting his body at risk and what to a mild pop is it worth it? I don't know. Do, do you know what I mean? Like if you're going to do that make it a massive deal make it a spot that people are going to talk about um i don't know i don't know it didn't seem to me it didn't come off from watching this show that that particular spot um you know for those fans there was anything in particular like a and bit I, memorable yeah yeah and i i think i mean it's memorable now because mick foley's become a big star and that's on his highlight reel right but I don't know how much it would have been memorable for those fans then. I mean, I could be wrong, but it, it didn't come across on TV that way. Um, okay. Um, so, now we go to the retirement ceremony for Ron Simmons um, and his Florida State jersey, the number 50 jersey. Um, and uh, I have to say... He is definitely over with that crowd. <laughs> uh, that's easily the most excited crowd that we've seen in 1991. Is the, is the Florida State crowd cheering Ron Simmons? So I can kind of see from a certain point of view why they'd want those guys paying to watch wrestling. Yes. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, he Simmons was a a huge star. Uh, anybody on defense that finishes as a Heisman Trophy finalist, um, it, it's it's commendable. It doesn't happen very often. So he was a great college collegiate football star. And uh, Bobby Bowden puts him over big in a taped interview too right after that. 
Yeah, no, Bobby Bowden. I have no frame of reference, Chad. Like, is that is he a big deal, Bobby Bowden? Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I have no idea who the. Uh, I, I mean, Bobby Bowden is one of the probably, I guess, top five most famous college football coaches of all time right, in history. I mean, I mean, at this point in time, he, you know, this was a while ago, and he he coached up to. I think like 2007, but uh, but yeah, he holds right now. He holds the NCAA record for most career wins, and um, he he's definitely a legend. I mean, him and kind of Bear Bryant. I mean, there's there's a couple of all timers as far as football coaches, but even at this time, he'd have been uh, he'd have been very very popular and uh, on his way. Yeah, I think that's one of the most difficult things for um, for people from the UK to understand um, is that the college sports is a big deal over there because we, we have no equivalent of it. Because um, it's like, you know how our football is all in like different divisions and leagues and things? Yeah. It's like, well, the premiership is the place to be. You know, you, you don't care about League 2 or whatever. Um, but it's like... And this has been explained to me uh, several times that the college football is a big deal in its own right, you know. And then you have the NFL as well. Um, so I, I think that's it's a, it's, a, it's one of those things um, that is uh, it's just cultural, I guess. But um, so you saying that he's the, like the fifth best uh, kind of college coach ever is a, is in itself a really big deal. It's not like oh, it's just college football, right? Yeah, even even at this time, I mean, he, I'd say in 1991, he was still one of the like the marquee coaches. I mean, if you had to talk about college football coaches in history, I mean, you got you got Heisman, you got uh, Bear Bryant, Joe Paterno, Bobby Bowden. He he could be a Mount Rushmore in history. So him putting over Simmons is not just some Joe Blow that nobody knows. I mean, I would say most of the audience. Uh, he he passed. I like to say the grandma test is something I always talk about. Like yeah. like he passes the grandma test, or my grandma knows who he is. So great. Okay. Um. Yes, and it's, and the, uh, the grandma test is always interesting. I think always interesting in all sorts of uh, things. Of course, in wrestling in this country, the only person who passes any grandma test is Big Daddy. As I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> Many times. Okay, so uh, it's uh, Ron Simmons. Uh, we get to see him in action now, taking on the Diamond Stud. And I've written in my notes here, where's DDP? This was before I read the Meltzers. And of course, uh, DDP is no longer with... He's kind of hanging around, you said, Chad, but he's technically no longer with him. Um, and I wonder who's going over in this one. <laughs> so, so is this uh, where you have your little rant about the rankings? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, this is where I have my rant. So, uh, because, so go ahead. Well, I mean, this match was a glorified squash, okay? Uh, Diamond Stud is meant to be your number eight guy in the company, according to the rankings that you gave us on this very show. Right. And he's dropped out here so easily, so soon, in his, comparatively, in his push. I mean, how long has Stud been around? A few months? Yeah. Cool. Um, they're meant to be pushing him as a new big deal, and they basically squash him in three minutes two minutes 25 seconds according to Meltzer and I and I think like yes you've got to get guys over you can't push everybody at the same time 
but there's no like what's the point of of giving someone like stud any sort of push if you're just going to do this to him Simmons already won over Oz <laughs> which is an aborted push and now they're doing the same to to stud I, I, I don't know I mean part of me says yes you're helping to make Simmons a bigger star Right. But how can anybody build any name value if you're just going to job them out like this? I don't, I don't understand uh, what the, you know. And there's another instance we'll see in a, a little bit later on where I will come back to this point because uh, I, I just think it's, you know, clearly Simmons had to beat someone here, but it feels premature for that person to be Diamond Stud, or if it is going to be Diamond Stud, give them eight minutes or ten minutes or something. And let Stud get more shit in. Yeah, we probably could have done without the Freebirds and um, Patriots match and had this one extend a little longer. I, I think that would have been in order for sure. I mean, Stud got a good bit of offense for the first minute, but uh, but yeah, I mean, he like you said, it's it's a two minute match and Simmons wins with the football tackle. There's not much to analyze except the. Uh, the rationale and decision to use someone like Stud to basically enhance Simmons up as he heads into the title match versus Luger. I, I can understand why they 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 did it, but I just think it's short term short term thinking. Yeah, I do think it's pretty nearsightedness on their part uh, to use somebody like Stud. Uh, surely there's someone even um, a one man game. You know, take him out of the Georgia brawl and put Simmons over a big guy. He power slams one man gang, gives yeah. him the football tackle. To me, that'd have been more effective. So, um, Paul Lee has got an interview now with Ron Simmons, who says dreams are not impossible for me. And um, Race and Hughes come out to the ring, and <laughs> <laughs> Simmons has got this line here. You guys are like flies on, and you know the rest of the story, which I thought was really cool. Uh, <laughs> I actually thought that Simmons, um, you know, has got a bit of charisma about him. He yeah. seems like a, a bit of a badass to me. Yeah? I, I agree. Um, I, I really uh, like this build, which we'll talk about. Yeah, well, well, we'll come back to that in a moment, because I need to finish my rant here. Van Hammer now <laughs> uh, debuts. Heavy Metal Van Hammer. Um, and uh, I'll give Van Hammer this for his debut. He was more over than both Mike Graham on this show, and he was more over than DDP in any of his appearances that we've seen. He definitely hit a nerve with this pretty dead crowd. Came out with a came out with a guitar, and you know, um, he seemed to. Would you agree, Chad, that they seemed to pop for him a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting character. In some ways, it feels like it's a morph of the late 80s hair metal uh, genre with the early 90s, kind of the neon era. Uh, it's a merging of that. I, I, I think it's short-lived, but on this show, he got a decent reaction. But yeah, there's not much you can do besides he has a cool entrance and he has a neat-looking guitar, as we see when he gets in the ring. Yeah, and during the match, he uh, Tony Schiavone says he's got them rocking, and he starts, uh, you know, doing the foot stomp for the "We Will Rock You," <laughs> the, Queen, the Queen song, and the crowd go for it. Um, now, basically, this match goes one minute seven seconds, and uh, Terence Taylor gets jobbed out 
in that time. Uh, Van Hammer goes over very quickly here. And um, again, I mean, basically, it's fine to have Van Hammer go over Taylor. Don't squash him in a minute. Because what they're doing here is they're devaluing their card. Like, if you keep on doing this to all of your roster, you end up with an entire roster of guys who look like, in our minds, job guys. Um, and I, I, this is clearly like a policy of Dusty's, you know. He wants to get all of these guys over, and he gives them a couple of minutes to do it. Um, so I, I really object to this style of booking. I think it reduces the name value of established guys like Taylor. What little value he did have, at least protect him a little bit. Um and, it, you know, it stops guys like Diamond Stud building up their name. And it makes the entire roster look jobbery. Do you agree, Chad? Yeah, I, and, and especially, like, I, I guess I had some fond memories of York Foundation. And I, I still love the concept, thinking about it. But, boy, they're making Alexandra York kind of look like a pretty big doofus, you know? I mean, her... Her main crown jewel, so to speak, gets jobbed out here in a minute. She had no uh, no expertise that she could give Terrence to combat Hammer, uh, the computer. is. Well, well, in fairness, there's no data on him, is there, Chuck? There's no data, but it looks <laughs> like they could have done some type of scouting report on him. I mean, what, they didn't see him at the contract signing? It makes no sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I don't like this policy. Either... You know, I don't know. You know, put some of these matches together and make a six-man tag or something. Yeah, I, well, anybody would have been better in this spot. I mean, this guy debuting. I mean, Joey Max, for God's sakes, put him out there. It, it doesn't matter. This is a debut. There was no reason for uh, Terrence Taylor to resort back to his Red Rooster days and get completely bitched out here. Yeah, I mean, Meltzer gives says poor Terry Taylor minus two stars. That's awful. Awesome. Um, I, I think that uh, could this be Dusty taking out his uh, you know his secret grudge against Taylor here? I thought Dusty was fired as the Booker by this point. No, he's not fired. I don't think. I'm pretty sure he's gone. Uh, I think he's still. I mean, I had to get that confirmed. I'm sure the listeners yeah. will know, but yeah, yeah no, I thought I, he was already a goner. Meltzer was talking about him going, but he hasn't gone yet, as far as far as I know. But I could be uh, mistaken there. Um, so now we get Missy Hyatt, who actually makes it to Luger's uh, dressing room. And um, I, I have to say, Luger, Luger's character here, he's kind of like arrogant, you know, um, pompous. He's got an entourage with uh, Race and um, Mr. Hughes and various hangers-on. He's kind of like a big shot. That's how they're presenting him. And... Um, Basically, Simmons attacks Luger in the locker room. Uh, I enjoy this little angle of Simmons attacking Luger in the dressing room quite a lot. And I thought that Simmons, once again, came across as a badass. What, any thoughts, Chad? Yeah, yeah. Uh, as I said, um, I really like the build of this match. It kind of had an old school feel. Simmons kind of busting down the door and coming in was good. Uh, one of Missy's interviews gets thwarted again, which was a humorous running theme. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed this build and I enjoyed the match as we'll get to in our next show. So so far this gets a thumbs up for me. Moving swiftly on, t- television title selling Steve Austin is the champion and he's taking on the Z Man. 
um, in a pretty unremarkable match, I would suggest. Uh, did, did you think it was any better? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm still kind of, we're still sort of waiting to see, I'd say, Austin in a, in a good uh, good breakout performance so far. Um, I, th- I thought this went back and forth too much. No one was able to maintain an advantage. Austin kind of gained control of the headlock but didn't do nothing with it. Zink got a super kick and followed it up with a back body drop, hit a crossbody onto the ramp, but then missed one into the ring. And Austin, I thought, would take advantage, but he went back into the headlock. Uh, Austin hit the stun gun, but that he uh, was winded and wasn't able to cover. And then Z-Man gets to roll up for a near fall, and Lady Blossom gives some uh, brass knuckles to Austin and uses them. Uh, when Z-Man goes for a back suplex, Austin punches him in the head and wins the match. Uh, I, I gave this two stars, really kind of decent generic action, but nothing overly exciting. Yeah, it, it did occur to me during this match that um, Austin basically still looks like Texas Austin, you know. He looks like Austin from USWA to me. Like he hasn't cut his hair yet, you know, his hair still kind of like long and strawy, you yep. know. Um, yeah, I, I thought that uh, Zank was back to his old worst here. Really, really boring arm work by him. Um, I did think the finish was interesting with the uh, hitting the punch during the back suplex. Right. I can't remember, right. can't remember seeing that before. So quite a, quite an innovative finish. But um, yeah, not a lot. About two stars on the money. Meltzer went star and three quarters. It's about right. Meltzer's pretty stingy on the show. Yeah, I, I mean... I, I think with Meltzer, though, whenever a show's got a bad crowd, that will always affect his ratings. Right. Because he's a crowd guy. Um, so so then what happens is, um, well, we come out with a break, and they kept on shilling the uh, WCW gift catalogue right to Atlanta, Georgia, for the gift catalogue. I wonder what was in there. I don't know. Um, There's Probably some of our listeners actually wrote into that. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if... Uh, my buddy Pete from Titans of Wrestling had, had uh, <laughs> wrote into Atlanta for the WCW gift catalog. Um, anyway, now we get the contract signing, um, but basically we're being held up here by what uh, Jim Ross calls him his pompousness, Lex Luger. Yeah. So, so Luger basically is uh, keeping everybody waiting for the contract signing. So in the meantime, uh, we clipped to Ron Simmons giving a motivational speech to some kids. Um, he's involved with this thing called the Boys Club, and um, I couldn't help but notice that all of the kids there were black. Is there any reason for this? Is there some bit I'm not getting here? No, I mean, I mean, it's the Boys and Girls Club of Atlanta that he spoke to. So um, he, we had a clip of him speaking to them there, and then also he, uh, I guess, provided transportation and bust them up uh, for a show at the Omni. Brings a tear to your eye, doesn't it? What a nice guy he is. <laughs> I, I like the football segment. I'd say this one less so. So <laughs> it's very it's shades of like Lex Express cheesiness. This, you know, this is of, a little much. Um, you know his motivational uh, speak a uh, speech. Um, anyway, we're we're still waiting on Lugo, and I I have to say I do like the idea of him keeping us waiting. Kind of like builds him up as like a as like a big deal. Um. Bischoff presents uh, Simmons. Um, so Bischoff basically presents this whole segment of the contract signing. Right. Simmons is there with his wife Lottie. 
Dusty Rhodes is there too as his kind of second. Uh, Luger is there with Harley Race. And uh, I don't know if you've, if you've ever seen the build for the Harley Race versus um, Billy Graham match from Florida in the in the late 70s. But um, this is basically a, almost a carbon copy of what happened there. Uh, I mean, Race had his wife there. Billy Graham had his wife there. They're all sitting around the table. Um, very old school. Very kind of like 70s Florida style booking from uh, uh, Dusty. And there's your proof that Dusty's not fired, Chad, because he's sitting right there. Yeah, I, I, I never, I don't dispute he's fired. I'm just, uh, as Booker, I'm not positive if he's Booker at this time. Well, I mean, whoever booked it was taking a leaf out of the Eddie Graham book here because this is very, very reminiscent of that. Uh, even down to the suits they're all wearing. They're all wearing these kind of like, <laughs> these kind of like flannel suits. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Luger uh, speaks. He says, this is an historic occasion. <laughs> he calls uh, Simmons a pillar of the community and says that... Uh, you know, since that Simmons is such a great guy, and such that since they go back and they have the shared kind of, you know, they're good friends and whatnot, he's going to give Simmons an opportunity to be the first black world champion. <laughs> and then, like, he's going really well, he's being very respectful, and then all of a sudden he turns and says, however, <laughs> you know, I've got a, I've got Harley here as my advisor, I've got Mr. Hughes as my bodyguard, but I need a driver. <laughs> and Simmons just goes nuts, and uh, you know they put it over as, as a tremendous insult to Simmons that uh, Luger would suggest that he would be uh, his his personal driver. <laughs> and I I actually thought this was tremendous, Chad. A really good angle. Yeah, and uh, Luger kind of floods away in the in the limo afterwards. So yeah, this was a good basic setup. Uh, again, I thought it was effective. Got me hyped for the match. So good job. Yeah, and as good as the bill for Simmons, I actually think they've booked re- Luger really well as champ. Yep, yep, so far. Uh, he's looked you know, good. Um, so, you know, even though I'm t- I'm still dubious about the execution of the turn, the actual booking of him as the heel champ is very, very good. Um, and finally, um, we have the enforcers, Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco, in the tournament final for the tag titles which I guess have been vacated by the signers because they're injured yeah because of Scott's yeah. injury yep. um, and they're taking on Rick Steiner and Bill Kazmaier uh, <laughs> now obviously Kazmaier has been injured uh, and his uh, ribs are taped up um, Anderson and Zabisco now first of all what a cool team I think it, like they just look cool these guys I think Uh <laughs> I really like them. They've, they've both got a kind of classic wrestling look about them, um, I think. And I, I thought that as a kid as well. Um, but they come out with a bunch of black mask guards who look like terrorists. I didn't quite understand that. What, what was that deal? What do I know? Um, when they came out, they came out with like a bunch of like guys who looked like oh, terrorists. Oh, yeah, they had like a like a riot squad with them. Yeah, they didn't really mention any. I don't know what the what the uh, infamous was I mean I don't know if they were scared it didn't make a lot of sense like they were scared that Kazmaier and Steiner would attack them or what it, it seemed pretty stupid I don't know I didn't get it yeah so I mean basically this match uh, like all the other matches uh, on this card doesn't go particularly long because I mean well basically the storyline 
is that um, because Kazmaier is injured, Rick tries to go two on one by himself for as long as possible. Um, they beat him up a bit, and Kazmaier gets gets in himself, and Arn cheap shots him for the quick win, and they win the belts. Um, <laughs> Meltzer gave it a dud, Chad. <laughs> Yeah, I went. I went to star, but it was it was not good. I mean, it well, it was quick and rushed, and you know, Rick goes at it alone. Basically, the enforcers double team at will, and like you said, Kazmaier tags in one shot to the injured ribs, and that's it. We have new Mel- champions. Meltz is very angry by the fact that it was only three minutes. He right. says, uh, "Yes, a match to decide the world tag title." And they gave this, the, the guys three minutes and 33 seconds. Um, nothing against the enforcers, but the credibility of these tag team titles has never been lower. Do you agree with him? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I guess at this point and the next show, it doesn't help. But, uh, I mean, the tag titles have been up and down, I would say, at some points. And it's, I don't know. I mean, I mean, was this rushed? Yes, but we've seen rushed matches before. I don't, I don't know if this was the absolute low point. And it's on a good tag team. I mean, I, I think definitely Anderson and Zabisco feel like an established team. It's not like the tag straps they put them on the Patriots or somebody like that. Um. Well, after the match, on and uh, Larry get to cut some promos, and. Um, uh, Arn says tonight we prove the theory of navigation and then he cu- he's he got this awesome line and we're not going to lose these titles not to rock stars not to rappers because we're just two plain old journeyman wrestlers I love that line I thought it was awesome um, although he did slightly bury Van, ha- Van uh, yeah. Hammer and uh, PN News but <laughs> I quite that was that was I felt like Arn was saying that stuff for us, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a shout out to the hardcores, yes. Yeah, and then Zabisco had a great line as well. He says, "It don't matter how many muscles you have, it don't matter how many takedowns you learn in some jerk off college, because you got to go through the enforcers." Awesome. I, I thought there was a lot of um, Ole Anderson in the way that the these two in the kind of angle that these guys took. Because that was always Ole's line. Is like, you know, don't care about all the bu- bullshit. We're the proper wrestlers type thing, and we're going to take you to school. And I, 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 lo- I like that idea of the enforcers being like old school in that way. You know. I agree. Yeah, a good tag team. And that, that was that little promo was probably the best thing on this entire show for me. Um, in fact, if I was given give a recommendation as to whether you should watch this show or not. I would just say track down the post-match promo of the Enforcers and possibly see if you can get a package of the Luger Simmons build and leave it at that. <laughs> would you agree with that? Uh, I, I, I think this one's kind of contract signing, maybe the Bad Street uh, match, and then, yeah, Enforcers promo. That's probably all you need. Okay, but we are dedicated. We watch every show. We don't skip on nothing. Every um, card, don't say every show. People are going to be asking yeah. for a uh, WG in Chicago review <laughs> or something. No, a- a- absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> just, the, just the super shows. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, match of the night. Yeah, so my match of the night, I'll go with Bad Street and uh, 
And Flying Brian, it's, it's, like I said, I thought it, I, I didn't even think it was a good match. Three stars is kind of my barometer for a good match. I thought it was bordering on good. So uh, two and three quarters, pretty shoddy for match of the night, but that's kind of where we're at with this clash. I'm flicking through my notes now to look at my own ratings and things. It's going to have to be that, and I gave it two and a half. I didn't even like that much. Yeah. God, that's, that's probably my weakest ever pick for match of the night. I don't what well, was the Thanksgiving Thunder Clash match of the night? That's probably, I would think. Oh, well, if you do want to find out, there is a page on Place to Be. We haven't mentioned that's that, right. have we? That's right. We do have a listing now. If you go to uh, Place to Be Nation and go to our podcast main page where the big boys play under the podcast banner, uh, right there we have our end of show awards MVP, our match of the night, and the uh, infamous Billy Graham Award and all the uh, episodes listed so you can see how many times I've picked Ric Flair and got chastised by par for doing so <laughs> um, okay uh, so MVP what are you going to do now Chad he's not even here <laughs> do what now what, what, I said what are you going to do when Flair's gone yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's very tough. I may just pick Flair for uh, getting the hell out before this show took place. Um, uh, God, MVP for this show. I, I'm probably going to go with a non-wrestler uh, or somebody that didn't wrestle on this show. I, I may give a bone to Simmons. I, I think I'm going to give a bone to Simmons. I mean, this was uh, kind of his first big opportunity, and I'd say for everything he did in this show, he certainly didn't look foolish and kind of held his own and I enjoyed his interaction with Luger and he presented himself well and as a main eventer um, I'm really struggling for MVP uh, do you know what I have to pick somebody right yes uh, yeah yeah you're not checking that out on on okay yeah because that post-match promo was cool, and uh, so was the moment where he hit Bill Kazmaier with the weight. So, uh-huh. <laughs> but that is that is a very weak MVP pick. <laughs> yeah, uh, that is. On. Uh, so, what about the Billy Graham Award? Oh God. Uh, so this, I'm I'm going with Mike Graham. Again, I thought that was one of the worst, uh, one of the worst Ricky Morton singles matches. I'll I'll say it again. I was just kind of flabbergasted at how bad that was. Uh, so yeah, Mike Graham's my pick. Pretty dreadful. That is a pretty good pick, Chad. It's a pretty. I'm I'm tempted to go with Mike Graham as well. Um, I'm the only thing I'm thinking about one of the Patriots possibly. <laughs> Chip was bad in that match too. No, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Bid, uh Mike Graham as well. Okay, cool. I think he was the worst performer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so so where do we go next? So, uh, kind of the next show, I think, is one of the more interesting shows we may do uh, throughout this journey, and it's Halloween Havoc 1991. It's it's a show that has the Chamber of Horrors, which people know about. It's uh, I'm excited to see the Luger-Simmons K- uh, title match, and it's also a show that I have, oddly enough, great nostalgia for, because as I've mentioned a few times in these shows, 91 was kind of when I first started watching WCW and became aware of it. 
and Halloween Havoc was the first pay-per-view that the person that taped the pay-per-views for me, the family friend, uh, Halloween Havoc was the first pay-per-view that he taped. So that was my uh, first WCW pay-per-view experience. Mm. Okay. Well, I, I look forward to I look forward to that, um, Chad. And I mean, if we if we if we go on one of our uh, haters, we could even hit Halloween for it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think we I think we you know we we shouldn't. Be, knock out these shows with a bit more regularity. Uh, well, I don't. I don't want to make promises because people do know the baby is coming. It's um, due. Yeah. So but who knows? Um, but yeah, we, we'll we'll do our best. I mean, I guess that's all we can say. Can you can you can you can you imagine the dedication that it would take? Like li- literally, uh, ch- ch- you know, Chad's wife is giving birth and he's uh, talking about Abdullah the Butcher. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> now, I did uh, I did listen to Titans of Wrestling when she was having gallbladder surgery, but uh, a little bit of a different uh, oh, situation. God. <laughs> God. <laughs> okay. All right, well, join us next time for Where the Big Boys Play. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts, And the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.